Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and I'm going to read till verse 22. The scripture says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your words and to spend time explaining them. And I pray that that we would be encouraged in what we already believe to be true from your word. I pray that, that we would be challenged and stretched if what we believe is not consistent with your word. And I pray, Father, that that you would, by your grace, break down any resolute rebellion to your word. And that we we would know and own the fact that the truth that comes from you teaches us about the foundation of our faith, about Christ on the cross, and the righteousness that comes from knowing Him, and also teaches us all manner of other things about the world in which we live in, and about your character and nature and what you've done. And it is all important. We ought to embrace the whole of your word, and not just the parts that are consistent with what we already believe. Not just the parts that we like, but that we would hear challenge, and we would receive it. And walk in the light of your truth. Father, I pray, not just for the city of Baltimore or for our region, but for our entire country, which is caught up in a a kind of fever pitch over issues of ethnicity. Lord, we are divided and we divide over and over and over again as a nation. We pray that we would see the truth of the gospel as a solution to this problem which plagues our society and that we would understand that in large part that there will be racism because people are sinful. 
but that in the church, in the light of the gospel, that there can be a profound and deep sense of the dignity of all people and that there can be peace because of union with Christ and because of what Jesus has done for his people, for the church. We pray that 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 message would spread to the culture and that there would be a, a deep embracing of some of these foundational truths, Lord. We pray this. We ask that you would teach us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It occurred to me at some point during this week that uh, 2015 is, is perhaps the equivalent of, of what 1991 and 1992 were for me. Uh, in 1991, Rodney King was brutally, by a, brutally beaten by a number of police officers, and, and there was a call for justice. In 1992, those police officers were put on trial and were acquitted, and then there were riots over uh, the injustice of the case. In the midst of those riots, uh, Rodney King himself went on television and asked for people to stop rioting, for for violence to cease, and he asked the question, which has been endlessly repeated since then, in the midst of, of all kinds of ethnic trouble, can't we all just get along? I think it's an important question to ask, can we get along? Can people of, of different ethnicities, can people of from different people groups find some kind of unity? Can we get along? And if we can't, why can't we? If we can, why hasn't it happened? The United States passed legislation proclaiming the equal rights of humanity in the 1960s, and we seem every time there is some great controversy or conflict or difficulty over ethnicity in our culture, we seem to go right back to this point of, of, of drawing lines and disagreeing. Uh, the bad news about the world is that racism is alive and well. And by racism, I, I hope that, that your view of the world is not so small that when you hear the word racism, you think merely of a conflict between so-called whites and so-called blacks. That you understand that the world as a whole seems to reject, in large part, uh, the Jewish people. And that, that, that there is a constant call for the destruction of Israel and the elimination of Jewish people, depending on, on wherever you go in the world. You can, you can find this growing uh, in, in, in different places. Um, the Pakistanis don't get along with the Indians. Living in New Jersey, we found that uh, African Americans generally have trouble getting along with islanders. The Japanese have a history of oppressing the Chinese, and those two cultures don't necessarily get along. Uh, In our country, uh, in the founding uh, or or, uh, the the building up period of New York City, the Irish didn't get along with uh, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who felt that they were not worthy of equal rights. Racism is status quo in the world. At any time, there is one group of people who who perceive in their culture another group of people as the problem. 
It's very easy to separate. And so this is something that we see over and over and over again, and things not getting better. Interestingly, you can find a similar cycle in the book of Judges, where, where people will, will attain some level of repentance and, and return to the Lord, and there will be a season of, of peace and understanding. And then the people will fall away from God and, and, and disobey the Lord and fall back into sin. And, and then they will be oppressed and they will realize that they have a need and they will, they will repent and come back to the Lord. And then the cycle begins over and over again. Right now, I think our culture is, is finely tuned to the need to address the, the questions of, of racism that are alive today in our culture. But if you can think back just 14 years to what happened in the aftermath of 9-11, churches were open for prayer and people flooded into churches calling for for change in the culture, calling uh, for God to be back in the center of our our life, calling for God to deliver us and to protect our nation. Uh, And this was was almost immediately after those attacks, People, people crammed into churches And then things slowly went back to normal. This happens over and over again. As Christians, we ought to understand that that our proper thinking about matters of ethnicity and racism ought to be influenced by the Scriptures. And they ought to be a for-all-time kind of a thing and not a when-there-is-a-social-crisis kind of a thing. There are, there are many people who, who, when this kind of social difficulty happens, they get on television and they are making the money as a consultant and, and they're needed and they, they, they have uh, all kinds of rallies and time to talk and time to pursue understanding and that's their time. But as Christians, we ought to understand that that walking in the light of gospel truth and in our understanding about what it means to be a human being and how that relates to our ethnicity, that's an all-time kind of a thing. Six months from now, ten years from now, five decades from now, our understanding of the need to view ethnicity and racism properly ought to still be in effect. Does that make sense? We ought not just to, to tide and, or to change the tides and, and go with the ebb and flow of our culture because right now it's, it's very popular to think rightly about these issues. But we ought to think rightly when it's not popular, when no one seems to care. Because we're believers and we respond to God's word. Let's talk about the history of Israel and the Gentiles. Uh, There is no doubt that when Jesus walks onto the scene that the Jewish people felt that that they were superior. That they were uh, ethnically superior to the other races. They called the Gentiles the dogs. Um, Jesus in a... a, uh, in, in, a, in a very famous showdown in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, uh, is, is reading the Scriptures. Now, in, in my mind, the story 
always went this way. That Jesus rolls out the scroll and reads from Isaiah and says, today in your presence, the, these truths about who Messiah is, they, they, they have come true. And that, and that the people were offended. And that they decided that, that this man was saying that he was Messiah and they were going to throw him over the cliff. But if you, if you look at Luke chapter 4, that's not what happens at all. The, the, the scripture is read and Jesus said, these things are fulfilled in your hearing. And the people marvel at his eloquence. That man just said he was the Messiah. Nobody, nobody bats an eye. But then you know what he says to them? He says, you will say, or you, you know that there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet but Elijah was sent not to any of those widows but to the woman in Zarephath not a Jew and then he says and there were many lepers in Israel at that time but Elijah sorry I've got those backwards Elijah went to the widow and Elisha healed Naaman who was not a Jew and at this point, they realize what Jesus is pointing out to them, the fact that they think that they are ethnically superior and they don't understand that Messiah comes not just for the Jews but for the whole world. And it's at this point that they decide they're going to throw him over the cliff. How dare you say that? And so it's important that the people of God regularly revisit their biblical history so that they think properly about what's going on around them. Adam was created in the image of God. The key, the key to the defeat of ethnic prejudice in the church is embracing the implications of biblical history. Genesis 1.28, God says, let us create man in our image. And so he does. Understanding the role of the image of God, that, that, that the image of God is in every single living human being will help us to, to distinguish and determine the truth about issues that, that rage in our culture, like the issue of abortion. Which ultimately, I think if we believe that, that a life in the womb is created in the image of God, we will understand that, that, that our rights and freedoms are curtailed, limited by the rights and freedoms of the one who is in the womb. The death penalty instituted in the early chapters of the book of Acts says that a single human life is so valuable that if you take a human life, you forfeit your own. We understand that there are times when it is okay for a nation to go to war to protect human life and that the law ought to protect all individuals, rich and poor, cast uh, the, the the, the alien or the foreigner and the one who lives in the land because of the fact that they are in the image of God. Acts chapter 17 verse 26 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. We are all related to one another. Every single human being. There is no sense that, that one tribe is superior to another. We all have one common ancestor in Noah and in Adam. And therefore, all of humanity shares a kind of brotherhood. 
And there ought to be no sense in which one group of people says, I am superior to another. Adam's fall also affects mankind as a singular unit. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We are all sinful, every single one of us, in this race called the human race. And we are all in desperate need of a Savior every single member of the race. Humanity descends from one person and all peoples grow. From one man comes blessing for all. God divided humanity into nations at the Tower of Babel that that he might not have the need, that he might not be so overwhelmed by the injustice going on on the earth that that he would not be offended by the sin of humanity and destroy humanity as a whole again. He had done that in the flood. He had destroyed the whole of humanity with the exception of, of one family. When that family disembarks from the ark, what he does is he splits them into nations. That one nation would, would grow powerful, perhaps, and forget their place, and they would sin against him, and he would destroy that nation and raise up another. Not destroying all nations. That's what's been going on in the world uh, ever since. God took the Jews and he separated them among all peoples that they might walk before him. Leviticus 18.3, I quoted from this very chapter this morning, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Leviticus 18.3, God tells the Jews, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you live, the culture I'm bringing you out of, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You're going to be a different, distinct people. This is a, this is a time... Think about this. At this moment, the world fractured into nations. There's there's something useful. If you have enemies from another tribe who don't look like you, right? Skin color is very helpful in determining who your enemy is and isn't, right? Cultural differences help you understand who you need to protect yourself from because because there is no sense of worldwide peace or unity. There is only division and fracture. This distinct nation was given a law by God and told to live in in a particular way. They're aware of their sins. They should be aware of their need for God to save them. They, They should remain aware of the fact that God called Abraham and told him that that their blessing was to have these blessings and to eventually be a blessing to all nations, but they forgot that. Galatians 3.8 says this, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. They should have known we are different than these nations, but we are not better than them. We have been given a blessing, and we ought to serve and care for those around us. But they forgot. Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead. And then he calls for this gospel, which he is giving to his disciples to be preached to all nations, that all nations might be reconciled to him. The gospel is for all people. 
Because all people are created in the image of God and all people have sinned against God and have a need for a savior. And so an amazing thing happens. On the very first day, the day when the church is born, it says that that the Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, did you hear that? Are dwelling in Jerusalem. And they hear the sound of the the mighty rushing wind. And and they hear the Jews, the, the apostles, speaking in their own language. They're amazed. And they say, isn't this amazing that the Galileans are speaking and we each hear him, we each hear them speaking in our native language. And then it, it speaks about the fact that, that there are people from all different nations. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which, which basically takes a, a tour around the world. That people are hearing in their own tongues the mighty works of God. This is the, the division of the nations in reverse. Nations draw together in the church. And so Paul comes with a message for the church in Ephesians, highlighting what Christ has done for the world on the cross. Verse 14 of chapter 2 says that, that Jesus has made us both one, both Jews and Gentiles, All colors of Gentiles, all kinds of Gentiles are made into one people in the church, in the body of Christ. There's no difference between us because of colors, genders, social status. We're unified in Christ Jesus. Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In the temple, there was this knee wall built that kept the Gentiles out of the the center court, the, the center section of the temple. Um, and it says here that, that, that Jesus broke that down. Gentiles were allowed into the, to the temple, but only so far because they were unclean and separated, because they, they were not right with God. Jesus breaks down that wall and creates a new man, In himself. In Adam, all men died, but in Christ, all kinds of men are made alive and made into a new kind of man. Verse 16 says that we are reconciled to God in Christ's body. In the midst of all the controversy that you may encounter over the next couple weeks concerning the events in Baltimore, if you are talking with a Christian, then you are talking with someone with whom you share the deepest, broadest connection. We are reconciled to God, all different kinds of people in Christ's body. And that means that the color that we ought to be most concerned about in the church is not white or black, but blood red. Are we made new in Christ? If so, then we have a deep connection. Let me say this, I think that that respect ought to flow for all people on the basis of the fact that they're created in the image of God. There ought to be a consideration given for the fact that, that people sin and commit sins. And so we understand that this flows from the fall. But within the church, we ought to seek to understand and to discuss and to, and to share these, these deep feelings that we have about what's going on in our culture and not reject one another because we are made one because of Christ's work. And so we might not understand each other if we look 
differently, if we are of different colors. We might not understand each other fully. There might be vast differences in our cultural perceptions, but we have a deep unity that ought to overflow into respect because of what Christ has done. I just want to, I want to point something out. So last night I went on the, the internet and I looked at uh, Crayola's website and they sell, you can buy them from walmart.com, they sell a pack of multicultural crayons. Um, I think it's absurd for one reason, okay? One, I think maybe if you're, if you're like 72 pack is a little, you know, uh, underfilled and you want extra colors that you can like doodle everyone in your church, that's good. But they, they, these are the colors that are in there. I thought this is interesting. Black, sapia, peach, apricot, white, tan, mahogany, and burnt sienna. To which I say this. Why is there a black and a white crayon in there? Like what kid in coloring themselves is going to reach for a white crayon? Like uh, unless he's a total albino, which I guess is probably why it's in there. All right. You know, I don't, I look at myself and I think, man, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a peachy apricot kind of a guy, aren't I? Like, let's just, let's be honest. The, 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 the colors that are out there are so wide and varied. And yet we reduce in our culture issues of injustice to a white black kind of issue as if there are only two sides or two ways to think about anything. Does that make sense? There are all kinds of factors involved in what's going on in Baltimore. All kinds of things. This is not just a simple yes-no proposition. If you, there, there are people who are, who are incredibly invested, I think, in making a profit over getting one group of people to say, shut that thing down and suppress it, and another group of people to say, overthrow the city. Does that make sense? We as Christians need to be discerning people. Say the issues are more complicated than that. Let's not go to war over skin color when the issues run deeper. Instead, let's look at people on the other side or with a different perspective or who understand things differently from us and say, we understand that there is a difference in opinion here that doesn't necessarily go to ethnicity. Does that make sense? Let's act that way. We are, we are Christians and we possess a deep unity with people. And so we ought to live that way. It says here that Jesus kills the hostility. Jesus kills the hostility. And as we consider the gospel and consider what we have in Christ, we can cast off the fact that at one time, at one time in our history, living among people who looked just like us afforded us some kind of cultural protection. That's no longer true in the church. We have unity with people who look vastly different from us. Your brothers and sisters in Christ live on every continent throughout the world. Verse 17 says that Jesus came and preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. And so Jesus calls the church to be at peace amongst itself. As we understand that, that through Jesus we have access in one spirit to the Father. All right, I want to make a number of, of application points as I, as I draw to a close here. Um, 
And I've already kind of run over a bunch of them and, and just kind of preached off my outline as I've, as I've said a couple of things. But I just want to walk through some, some basic application points here. This is, this is a truth that I think that Christians ought to insist upon. There is only one race. There is only the human race. I, I continue, I, I said this I think back in 2011, I've said it several times, I continue to cross out on applications and stuff where it says race and then it says like white black, Hispanic, I always cross that out. And I I write ethnicity, or I write under race, if it's just a solid block, I just write human. Maybe maybe going to the doctor's office or filling out different kinds of applications, this is not how you change the world. But I think, like, be so hard-headed about this issue that it, it penetrates to how you fill out forms. There is only one race. There are multiple tribes among our race. There are different kinds of ethnicities. But we're all human beings. And if we fail to remember that, we start to think of each other as the enemy when the truth is we are all in desperate need of salvation. We may have political conflicts or religious conflicts with different groups of of people. And sometimes those are legitimate and sometimes they're not. But the gospel promotes a vision of a united humanity, united in Christ. Just because all people are not reconciled to Christ does not mean that we shouldn't convey them the respect that they deserve being created in the image of God. God made humanity male and female, Genesis 5-2, when he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. One race. One blood, one humanity. And so in the light of that, we need to calm down the dialogue. I think in our country, we have become so wired to shame people in in a land where, where free speech is supposed to be celebrated. We bludgeon people to death over the wrong use of words. We sentence people to death online. Because of the word crimes that they commit. What we ought to be focused on is is the fact that, that unless we discuss and talk, we will not understand one another. And word crimes are not actual crimes. We need to, to pull back and calm down the dialogue in our culture. And to say, hey, give that person an opportunity to speak. We'll listen to what they have to say, and then we'll feel free to say that we think they're wrong if they're wrong. And we don't need to start throwing punches. Second, there might be, or third, I'm not sure, there might be human security in uniformity, but there is divine beauty in ethnic diversity. We feel safe in our culture when we're surrounded by people who are just like us, right? White guy surrounded by white people. Black folks or African-American folks surrounded by people just like them. Chinese folks starting a Chinese church or Chinese this or Chinese that just to feel safe. But that kind of safe is, is practical maybe but foolish and misguided. Think about how boring monoculture is, right? In our, in our culture, or in our scientific understanding, we understand that if a, if a group of people just cuts themselves off from everybody and only interbreeds and intermixes with themselves, they eventually 
get really messed up. Right? Diversity is where strength comes from. Think about the beauty that comes from uniting distinct kinds of of things together, right? Think about the kind of unity that, that exists, right? You've got boring unity, which is like soap, chalk, butter, right? It's, it's good to keep those things separate. Like you don't mix them all together. But, but think about the beauty that emerges when you take plastic and, and glass and all kinds of different things and you unite them together. And now you've got this amazing mobile phone that you can use, right? Diversity comes together and creates something beautiful. And that's what culture looks like when we say, hey, I understand that you think differently from me, but I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to listen to what you have to say, but not necessarily adopt everything that you say. And just because I listen to you say it doesn't mean I approve of everything that you say. But I respect you. So I'm going to listen. And understand that there are very real differences in culture. Inside our own cultures, we have an individual and cultural blindness. In the light of of what's happening in Baltimore, it has been pointed out over and over and over again that that in the inner city there is a tremendous lack of fatherhood. And that might be something that from the outside looking in we can say this is an area perhaps of cultural blindness. But let me tell you what, fatherlessness is increasing rapidly among those you would classify as whites. It is a cultural issue as marriage declines. And so we need to to not get on a high horse and say, well, here's what's wrong with this individual culture, or here's what's wrong with that culture. I think that white culture has a very real fear of the inner city and of, of the crime that happens in poor areas. And I think that That white culture needs to pull it back and ask themselves this question, is it possible that this young man could have been hurt in the course of police business? Is it possible? I think the answer is yes, it's possible. But this is what we have courts for, to figure this out. And I think that that African-American culture, and that seems to be the, the way that this is framed, a clash between black and white, There's a desire that we would understand that that they, as a culture, feel systematically oppressed. A desire that we would see that a man is dead and that something went wrong. And I think that, that we ought to sit back and ask the question, could it be that the police hurt this man, perhaps even intentionally? Of course it could be. We need to sit back and, and, and let those who are in charge in this area work through these issues and not react emotionally. We have a system designed to handle these things in this country. Now, this gets more complicated, and I'm almost out of time, and so I've created a complicated issue, and I've, I've got just a little bit of time to clean it up. Let me say this. Don't rush to pick sides. As far as I know, none of us in this room are related to any of the people who are involved in this issue. 
And so we need to make sure that, that we, as observers, don't fuel the fire, that we let the facts emerge and we withhold judgment. Secondly, when we say, let the systems do their job, we need to understand that, that people are skeptical of the systems. Why are people skeptical of the system doing a good job? Because at the heart of every system are individual people. And people are sinful and prone to fear. That's why we need to sit back and to relax and to wait and to focus on facts. The language of fear and of anger drives people to extreme positions. When people are angry, they fight and people die. And so we need to be careful that that as we look at our culture as a whole, we understand that our culture as a whole is composed of individual people. Individual people who who are complicated and who have who have hopes and dreams and who have fears and who have anxieties and who feel strongly about this or that. And and we need to make sure that that if we are going to change as a society, that we don't focus just on on changing the, the macro systems of our culture, but that we focus on building trust and brotherhood and respect among people. That is the ultimate need, I think, is not just not just the the shouting down and the punishing of different political figures, but promoting trust and brotherhood and respect. Where is that found? In the gospel. So I think Christians of all people need to focus on being moral, focus on living out biblical ethics and not getting sucked up into what, what the the social propaganda machines, whatever side, whether that's the Huffington Post or, or Fox News or, or this activist on Twitter or that person who reports our favorite anchor person, we need to understand that there is uh, an industry in keeping people glued to television sets in the midst of controversy. We need to sit back and take in the information and be wise about how we react. that means that it's very possible that we need to respect one another across the political, ethnic, and uh, other economic divide if the verdict comes out in a way that we don't agree with. And we need to remain calm and focus on the gospel always. The church is a place where love and hope and grace can be found. We need to reject the idea that that race separates humanity because the truth is that we have this broad unity in Christ. And the church can navigate through troubled waters and not be divided against each other. We, we can say that, that unity exists in Christ and we can find common ground even as political leaders make mistakes. As they are divided against themselves and they hurl accusation from one department to another. 
And as, as people get pulled in different directions, we can say, we as the church will not be turned against one another. We will respect one another as human beings created in the image of God and as those redeemed by the grace of Christ. And so let me encourage you to do what all blood-red people are called to do and to be peacemakers. To be peacemakers. When you're at work and people are getting fired up about this and they're, and they're, they're fighting about it, it's your job not to take a side, but to sow the gospel of peace. To make peace between people. Because ultimately, ethnicities and groups and tribes are just large groups of individual people standing in one place or, or united by an idea. And it's our job as the church to go one by one to those people and say, God desires to make peace with you through the gospel. Will you, will you be at peace with him? And, and then to confront this person at work or that person at work and to say, you, you're disagreeing with this person, but you're both creating the image of God. So be at peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. There will be another controversy on the other side of this one. There will be another controversy in 20 years. There'll be another one in 50 years as long as society does not find its root, its base, its unity in the image of God and in the work of Christ. And so the work of the peacemaker must always go on. We ought to call for righteousness and justice and respect to prevail. But in, in these times of uncertainty and of difficulty, we ought to call that, that peace would prevail. A peace built for us in the church on the goodness and universality of the gospel and a peace built on the fact that, that we are all created in the image of God. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share here the, the issues that confront a society that is 200 or 250 years old cannot be compressed into a simple sermon, one singular message. And so there is much that goes unsaid and much that is assumed and I'm sure many things that are not addressed which are, are still uh, difficult for those who listen and and as we close, there will be discussion, I'm sure. I pray that in all these issues, that, that the church would rise above and that the church would say there is a better way than, than dividing. There is a way to be united. There is a way that, that we can be at peace with one another because we have a deep unity in the gospel. Father, we pray for all involved. We pray for the family of this young man, Freddie Gray, who has died. We pray for these police officers and their families. Father, I pray for those who are seeking to establish law and order in Baltimore. And I pray for those who are protesting. Father, I pray that, that you would fill that city. I know one, well, I shouldn't say that because the Bible says that if we pray, we'll have what we ask for, if we ask with good intent. And so I pray for peace to prevail in the city. 
pray that you would bring broad unity in the city. I pray that the church, which is working hard, I pray that they would speak words of peace and that lives would be changed. Father, and I pray that that city would change. Not just for the sake of the city, but for the sake of your glory. You who created all humanity. Lord, we ask this, trusting that you're good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.